Hi, this is Toko U.S. Brand Manager Ian Harvey. I'm here with David Norris. David's a longtime friend, and he's also got 51 World Championship and World Cup starts, including 10 top 30 finishes. He was 20th place in the 2019 World Championship 50K Skate Mass Start and 24th in the Holman Colon 50K Classic Mass Start. He's got seven U.S. national podiums. Certainly would have been more, but he's gone in racing in Europe for many of those national championship opportunities, including a win in the 30K freestyle mass start in 2019. David is the 2016 American Berkebiner champion. He skis for APU in Anchorage, Alaska. He can sprint and has had some good sprint results in the past, but the reality is he's best in distance. He's an avid mountain runner and hunter, and he's the top ranked U.S. distance skier. Thanks for being here, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice to see you. You're the background. I can see the Alaska cutout um, on the wall there, but you're not in Anchorage, are you? Where are you at? I'm in Albuquerque right now, and uh, that's a trophy of Jessica's. <laughs> cool. And what are you doing in Albuquerque? Just visiting, visiting Jessica and um, getting a little altitude and extra sun boost. It's been pretty rainy and cold in Anchorage, so... It's pretty good timing to come down to the desert. So the Jessica you're referring to is Jessica Yaton, who is the yeah. bending American Berkebiner champion and has been uh, your girlfriend for many years now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, David, can you tell us, please, where you grew up and how you started ski racing? Yeah, for sure. I grew up in Fairbanks and... Um, my family got into Nordic skiing and I have three older siblings and my oldest sibling started cross country running in the middle school program. And then that transitioned into her cross country skiing. And then like younger siblings, we all just copied her and um, Fairbanks had a really good junior Nordic program and a lot of fun local races. So I totally fell in love with it, just skiing with the family spending a lot of time in the terrain park, hitting jumps. And, uh, and then that turned into like in middle school, you know, starting to think about um, training, like chasing around some of the high schoolers and stuff like that and focusing in on races and thinking about junior nationals and all that. You grew up with a, it seems like a generation of pretty good Fairbanks skiers. Mm-hmm. What, what was that just luck or what, what happened there? Yeah, probably luck. Like we didn't have um, club programs like uh, Fairbanks has now. So it was kind of just fortunate that um, like the Hahnemans and there was the Brodas and um, several, several like pretty dedicated ski families in Fairbanks. And we, we just grew up together racing and going to the JOQ qualifiers and, um, and also like that same group of, of families, we were part of the mountain bike club and the running community. So it was kind of like all the families were multi-sport families and we were pretty tight and just kind of pushed each other. And um, the, it was pretty fortunate since we didn't have a ski, uh, like a elite level junior program the running pro, running club in Fairbanks actually had like track workouts on Mondays and Wednesdays and then uh, like cross country runs on like Tuesdays and Thursday nights. So 
just by joining up with those folks, I would end up like inadvertently doing intervals. And um, then the cycle club would have races on the weekend and long rides on Tuesday nights and stuff. So we were kind of just like, we probably had great training for that age without even feeling like we were in like a, you know, a training program. We just kind of did everything that was on the calendar, stayed busy. Kind of an active endurance, multi-sport lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So after Fairbanks, then what? And then, um, so then I, I went to UAF for two years and skied for the Nanooks, uh, my sophomore year of college and then transferred to Montana state and skied three years for them. Um, and got an accounting degree while I was there. And then, um, right out of there, I went to join APU in Anchorage and ski for them. And, um, that was in 2014 that I joined APU full time and started working on a master's degree in business and finished that this spring. Um, and I've just been, yeah, training back in Alaska since then. And then in the last year, balancing my training a little bit between Albuquerque and Anchorage. You skied for Winter Stars as well? Yeah, I had a, well, maybe not formally, but Jan let me train in the summers with the Winter Stars. I was good friends with the, you know, Scott Patterson and Lex and Tyler. And I'd come down and do like two weeks, like two week blocks to train with them and just have more, more teammates. And then, um, and then there was like two years uh, where, where I was at UAF and um, Montana state where senior nationals weren't um, necessarily supported. And so I went with Jan and um, I stayed in the house with like a couple of the younger juniors and, Jan wax for me and I got to wear the winter star suit for two nationals in a row. I remember that because you had some really good results and I also remember that you were waxing in Toko. Jan and I have had a lot of collaboration collaboration over the years so um, yeah I didn't forget that. <laughs> yeah Jan was excited he, he said he'll tell me the story how he, he knew it was uh, like Toko blue and red mix or you know two days before the race he knew <laughs> but I, I had awesome skis so cool yeah he's dialed yeah you had some great results there um starting quite early so you've skied for APU now for many years Eric Flor is a very successful coach his style is a bit different from other other coaches I think he leaves a lot up to the athlete to, for them to gain personal experience, kind of coaching themselves and more advises. He obviously offers a lot of, a lot of other kind of thoughts and expertise, but I wanted to know um, how is it that APU has worked so well for you and how is it being coached by Eric? Yeah, um, well, for sure, just being in Alaska, that's helped make the program fit me really well, but particularly working with Eric, it's, um, I think it's worked well because he's, he's really not tons different than my high school coach, um, Bill McDonald and the philosophy is pretty similar where they, they both would kind of set up uh, like a training um, structure. And then there is a lot of freedom to do what you need to do individually. And, um, and my relationship with Eric has evolved a lot 
where uh, I was a little more, you know, spoon fed and followed it to a T when I first joined the program. And as I've gotten older, Eric's allowed me to, you know, venture out and create more of my own training plan. And, um, and then, you know, like with other life needs, you know, like spending time in Albuquerque with Jessica, I've, I've had more time away from the team and I have to think for myself quite a bit when I'm training alone for extended periods. And, and Eric's been really good at guiding me, but also letting me um, do what I need to do as an athlete and, and just like a human, you know? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy that I joined APU and it's been working out really well. Super. So David, you're Alaskan through and through. What I mean by that is, it seems like all the Alaskan Nordic skiers or many of them mountain run regularly. And a lot of them also not only spend a lot of time in the mountains, but go on a hunt. A lot of the men do a, an extended hunt in the fall and you definitely do that. Can you talk about your adventures and lifestyle that seems to be especially well suited for Alaska? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm super stoked that I ended up in Anchorage. Um, I didn't realize when growing up in Fairbanks that I, how much I liked the mountains. And um, yeah, every year that I'm in Anchorage, I'm just getting more and more into mountain running and doing new peaks. And um, it's really fortunate that it's also a great thing to do for Nordic training, you know? And um, yeah, that Alaskan lifestyle, is, it's, it's just awesome that, you know, you can get in really good shape for skiing, but then that also makes you uh, be really well prepared for fall hunting. And um, I always use like hunting and fishing trips as like little carrots out there ahead of me. Um, so I know like leading into like a big sheep hunt, like I, this fall I did about 10 days sheep hunting um, in the mountains. And like I was flown in and I, once I was in there, I wasn't going to think about ski training I was just focused on the hunt but leading into that that it really helps me train hard I think to have that um, and I, I put in about four weeks steady just grinding out training um, in in advance because I want to be able to go to sheep camp and just enjoy that week of not thinking about ski training at all and just try to get um uh, you know, a good week in the mountains and hopefully come home with some meat for the freezer. But um, I came out empty handed with the sheep this year and I went out again, uh, like a couple, the following two weeks, I went out looking for sheep, but never could get one. Um, but I think it's, it's really good. That lifestyle, I think suits, suits me really well with ski training and um, it keeps me happy and something to look forward to. Cool. When you were out this year, was there a storm or something like that that you had to yeah, do? We, yeah, I was with uh, Ari Indestad, was one of the younger guys on APU. And yeah, we had, uh, yeah, we lost like complete visibility and we set up a tent just to like hunker down and it started snowing on us. And then in the morning we woke up to like six inches of snow and wind drifts that were waist deep in spots. Um, but uh, even though it looked really snowy and stuff, we were actually pretty lucky with the weather. Like if blue skies followed that and, uh, I really wasn't ever cold that whole week. It just created some epic looking photos and a couple of challenging days trying to 
find white sheep and you know white snow and fog and sleet and stuff but yeah we got um our first snow of the year out hunting <clears throat> didn't the i would have to imagine that the inclement weather made the goats and sheep hunker down huh yeah um yeah when the ones we spotted were just all kind of bedded down you know like but they're i don't know they're tough like it's not like they're going out hiding in protection like they were just out there on a ridge line getting blasted by the wind and snow huh. uh, yeah so and you didn't get anything this fall i thought you said you did i so um yeah just last saturday i got a mountain goat and i did a day hunt with scott patterson and um so i, I finally did get something and um yeah scott and i we did intervals um saturday morning like really hard ones and uh got home had lunch and then we drove about an hour south of anchorage and went into the mountains and we started hiking about 3 p.m and we got back to the car at 1 30 in the morning and we packed out the goat together and it was it was pretty pretty horrendous bushwhack um it was like a lot of type two fun but as soon as we got to the road and knew the end was in sight we started talking about how awesome it was and how these are like the stories we're going to talk about when we're older <laughs> just like epic hunts and suffering training together and all that so it was, it was really cool so an hour south of anchorage is that a little south of girdwood like bird ridge or somewhere around there yeah south south of girdwood like south of um there's just there's a small goat registration hunt that's in that area like and um, yeah, it's, it's really brushy, thick, dense, like it's almost kind of temperate rainforest in there. So yeah, it's really cool. Um, Sounds like it. Yeah. Have you done the, I know you've done mountain marathon, but can you tell me a bit about mountain marathon and some of your adventures with that? Cause that's a, an iconic Alaskan thing that people in the lower 48 don't know about necessarily. Yeah. Well, and I, I was told this summer that it's the second oldest race in America to I think maybe the Boston Marathon and Matias Sari told me this so I think it's a reliable source but um, yeah Mount Marathon is like it's a three mile race that goes um, it's you know out and back and so it's basically a mile and a half straight up and straight back down to the coast and you're going up to like 3,000 feet and um super rugged terrain shale and scree and you know steep spots where you're putting your hands down on the rocks in front of you um and that race like along with there's just a ton of uh kind of like almost like vertical k type races around anchorage and as i've lived in anchorage each year i've done more and more and gotten really into it and um and mount marathon is kind of like the highlight of it and um it's a lottery to get in but I was fortunate to get in by winning some of the, there's a few uphill races that if you win those, you get automatic entry in a Mount Marathon. And um, so then I've gotten, I've competed in Mount Marathon twice. And, and then uh, by winning, I'm in for life. So I can, I, I can race any time now, which is a pretty sweet perk. And that's a great accomplishment too. That's real competitive. How many spectators would you say are along the side of the course as well as the start finish area? 
I mean, like thousands. I think Seward, you know, I think, I don't know. I don't want to say something crazy, but there's like 20,000 people or something that come to Seward for Fourth of July weekend. So the town itself is just crazy busy. And um, especially on Main Street, it's probably like for a half mile, there's like 10 people deep on both sides of the trail or, you know, at that point of road. But yeah, the only other thing that even compares to it with fans would be like Main Street finishing on uh, the Berkey or like Homicolon race. So it's crazy. You like can't hear yourself breathing as you're coming in. It's so loud and people are just going nuts and partying and having a good time. Yeah, cool. Um, and uh, you won it one time? No, uh, twice. You won it twice. Good job. Thanks. Well, two for two, huh? You've entered it twice, yep. won it twice? That's mm -hmm. impressive. So, David, you used to do quite well in sprint races. I remember early on you do quite well in especially classic races in sprint. Um, yeah. I remember at least domestically you did real well in sprint races sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you've done really well in distance, and you're clearly a world-class distance racer. As you've become more and more successful in distance, has your training changed to focus more on distance? Um, no, I don't think it's – I've never had a training plan that focused on sprint or distance. Um, like in high school and college, a lot of my coaches were, were kind of like, well, you, you need to be able to sprint well at least on a local and domestic level if you want to be a top distance skier just with um, mass start skiing and how fast some of the courses are you, you need to have that power and uh, so I always had it as a goal domestically to be uh, like I mean even now I still uh, I want to be able to be like a super tour sprinter who can make it through the rounds and that's not often for me but but I've made it to the A final a few times and I've, I've won a super tour sprint before in Lake Placid and um, and I think, you know, trying to have a good balance of, you know, sprint training and distance training is kind of what I need to be able to do mass starts on the World Cup in particular because those uh, accelerations and uh, those surges and there's 15K mass starts now. So the, the pace is quite high. So, so that's uh, a key point um, just to make sure that everyone understands when when David's talking about mass starts and surges, you can do a 50K, and although the, the, the pace might be high, you might have a group of 30 with mm -hmm. 7K left, and then all hell breaks loose sometime in the last 5Ks, and you're skiing like an 11-minute, depending on the conditions, 5K. I mean, basically, you're reducing a 50K into a 5K, and the pace is ridiculously high, and if you can't follow those those accelerations, you're gone. You're never going to yeah. make it back probably at that point. So it's a different sport than maybe a master's racing 50K. You have to have incredible speed and the ability to accelerate yeah. profoundly. What yeah. have you done in your training to, to try to improve your ability to accelerate specifically? Um, I've done a lot of plyometrics and um, like the, a lot of jumping. Um, and I've done, I've done like longer sets of jumping and shorter ones. And, um, you know, I've never, whenever I try to do like leg strength, 
like squats and deadlifts or cleans, I, it always starts to aggravate my, my knees and hips. And, um, it like, and then it starts hindering the rest of my training. So I've really have steered away from that kind of stuff, but jumps I've always been able to handle. And then, um, trying to do like, like I, I'll still do 15 second speeds, but I'm also doing a lot of kind of like, um, like 45 to a minute long accelerations that aren't max. It's not, um, as hard as I can go, but a lot of it's just to improve kind of like my mechanical efficiency so that, um, I, I do think like particularly like 15 K mass starts on the world cup. There's so much, um, slinking where the pack is like stretching out bunching up at the base of a hill and then you have to sprint over the top of the hill because it's stretching out again and all those little accelerations um they really i think they wear on me and um so i'm just trying to like spend time making those accelerations and uh, getting comfortable skiing at that higher pace and um and then doing like fartleks uh in the spring i did a lot of fartleks running and stuff just to try to be more elastic and uh, yeah, have that power. Hmm. Super. Mm -hmm. David, you've been tantalizingly close to the, to the distance red group for the past few years. What do you think you have to improve in order to make it in? If you do, do you have a specific focus with this in mind? Um, I mean, to be like red groups, uh, in terms of points, I, I would really just need to be consistently in top 30. And, you know, like I haven't top 30s in period one yet. So that's definitely a goal of mine is to start skiing well earlier in the season. Um, but I think also you just need to pop some random good ones to get good points. Um, but I think to for myself to become more of a more frequent, like, top 20 skier I think a lot of it is um it is like kind of what I was going back time about earlier with the speeds and accelerations um I'm trying to get improve my kind of like my mechanical efficiency at that higher pace so I'm not stressed just skiing the pace that I know is needed to be in the top 20 and um I last season I felt like I was really improving that and um this year, I think like a lot of it's going to come down to like in 15 K individual starts, like my final three to five K is where if I can improve that, I think I can find myself in the top 20 much more often. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I have a few questions regarding this. So one, there's a, there's an idea like with me, I'm very efficient naturally probably like, like you. And so for me back in the day, I was thinking, you know, if I can ski two K's really, really fast, then I'm probably going to be able to ski 10 or 15 K really fast. You know mm -hmm. what, for me that the focus didn't necessarily need to be on improving my efficiency, although that's always a challenge, but being able to ski faster. Right. And, and it, is that something that you also focus on almost like a track and field athlete where if you want to run a mile real fast, you need to be able to run a real fast 400. And right. not only that, you need to be able to run a fast 200, you know? And, and, mm -hmm. and so well, guys like us, we can ski a 5K almost as fast as we can ski a, a 2K. 
And yeah. so, and you don't want to be in a situation where you're skiing like 98% of your 2K pace. You need to improve your 2K pace so that you have a little bit more potential to grow there. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what have yeah. you, do you think about things in those terms? Yeah, for sure. I've, I've thought about how, um, yeah, like on a, say like a sprint qualifier, like I might for the whole qualifier be at like 97% of my max speed or whatever it is where um, like a pure sprinter is actually holding back and until the last hundred meters, you know, they're actually, you know, 90% of their max speed or something like that. And um, yeah, so I, I definitely need to, if I can improve my baseline speed, that will certainly help. Um, and then also the like, you know, my one minute speed, I think improving stuff like that. And um, yeah, cause, cause it's not the, the speed in any one given point, but, um, but there's spots on courses where like, yeah, we're really not going much slower than you would be if you were doing a sprint qualifier or you're in a 15 K, you know, rolling over right. transition type stuff. So yeah. yeah, improving that. And then, um, and then really what's interesting for me is like, um, what I've learned on world cup is that really, um, I, I climb, about as fast as anyone out there or I'm comfortable in climby grinding areas and in particular with individual starts I have to actually and I've learned to relax and settle in and not push the hill as hard as I can because it's uh, it's all the other spots on the course like flats gradual downhills gradual uphills and turns where I think a lot of those guys are picking up a lot of seconds and um my old tendencies was to just bury myself on the climb and then like suffer and kind of get through everything else, but not actually like be collecting seconds in the, in that, uh, you know, non-working sections, but they really are working sections. And, um, so that's been, that's been something I'm working on as well. So I think that's an interesting I'm glad you, you mentioned that. I think when it comes to improvement, you can look at physiological things like improving your acceleration, you know, and you've got direct feedback on that for master racing and such. But also you can look at the terrain and break them down. You can, so you've already identified, I'm really good at the, the grinder climbs. I'm working on my sprinter hill type transitional type hills, <clears throat> but perhaps um, I'm a little weaker in the flatter and rolling terrain. I was surprised. Mm -hmm. I had an experience many years ago in cross country. I didn't have this so much because we had less head to head racing. So, but after I became a biathlete, I did this one race. It was a world cup and I, I passed a bunch of people. And this one guy who I passed ended up passing me back. It was a famous Russian, really successful guy, but I, I stayed ahead of him. I passed him and stayed ahead of him for about five minutes during this race. And eventually he came back and passed me and went out of sight. And I was thinking, man, I'm having a good race. And I finished. And I looked at the results. I also looked at the ski times. And that guy who I passed won the race and had the fastest ski time. And I passed him during the race, left him behind, and then he came back and passed me. And I became finally aware, because we didn't have that much mass start racing, that I sucked on the really steep uphills. And I was incredibly fast on your working flat sections. And that's where I passed him and left him behind. I've always been really gifted on 
on high speed sections and generating momentum in my legs and carrying speed. But I, w I wasn't aware how slow I was relative to the best in the world on the steep uphill. So at the end of the winter, I said, okay, I'm gonna lose 10 pounds or seven pounds and I wanna gain some explosive strength to yeah. see if I can improve my steep ups. And it, you know, I only improved so much for the next year, but you know, that was my strategy and I did improve. Have you been able to identify a strategy for improving outside of pacing, improving your weaker sections, which would be at this point compared to your climbs, the rolling in the flatter sections? Um, yeah, I think like I've done some stuff, um, you know, like force double pull and force V2 up, you know, like gradual climbs. And I think that's uh, helped build my strength, you know, like kind of like a runner saying that uphill repeats is like speed in disguise. Um, I think, and, and it helps with your timing to have that resistance you're, where you know if you're doing it well. Um, so I've done some of that. And, um, and then, you know, just jumping in and drafting behind some of the, the quicker guys on our team and um, like flatter intervals and stuff. I think that's been really valuable to like copy their technique and try different movements to be you know, like, try to be more dynamic or, you know, crunch harder or quicker, different things like that. Um, Cause it is like, and it is a discipline on the flats to like maintain a hard tempo and, and stuff like that. When you actually, you know, your mindset is like, this is a time to recover, but like, um, in Ruka last year, for example, I, I climbed to the top of this hill with the Russian, but then as soon as we hit a gradual downhill, I went to like big, long double pull strokes and the Russian just kept clipping away at like a really high tempo. And um, that was kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, I should, you know, give that technique a try versus like just opening up and doing this like big, deep double pull. But it was, you know, I think it was, I was fatigued and he was just, still hammering so trying some stuff like that cool well those are some good thoughts yeah. let's talk about your training group you alluded to doing intervals almost like in a motor, motor pacing sense behind some of your faster um teammates that are perhaps really good in the on your weaker sections who do you do the most training with do you have um, a training part you do a lot of training with yeah scott patterson and i probably i connect with him the most Traditionally, you and Scott are the two top distance skiers in the United States have been for quite a while. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it works out really well for us and we're on similar schedules. So we can connect in the afternoons. Hmm. Do you find it better to do some workouts solo and other workouts head to head? And what types of workouts would you, would you choose one or the other for? Um, I do, well, with APU, we do four mornings a week together as a team. And those usually end up being um, kind of like a speed set and then two interval sets. And then the third session can be, you know, my, some kind of speed or skill involved workout. And, um, and I, I really like that to have uh, like the key workouts with the team. Um, so in, intervals in particular, I think are really valuable with the team. And, um, of course there's every once in a while, like it's, it's nice to go alone for intervals and, um, and those like 
speeds, but, but I like it with the team do intervals. Um, and I think, yeah, I feed off everyone pretty well. And like, if, if I need to go easier, um, I think fortunately my personality is such that I, I can handle, um, getting beat up by teammates on a given day and I, I won't lose confidence in myself. Um, and, and I really like doing those high intensity sessions, the, the ones that I'm weaker at, you know, or like, like flat double pulling, stuff like that. Like I, I love doing that with our team because we have some guys that are great at double pulling and, um, uh, they can push me and I can learn from them. So, yeah. and then I do a lot of distance training alone, a lot of, uh, ODs I do on my own or connect with people for an hour and a half of it and then kind of peel off and keep roller skiing, stuff like that. Um, David, you won the American Berkey Binder in 2016. I know, you know, for a person that spends most of the winter or all the winter on the World Cup, you know, it's a different animal. It's, it's not the same as, let's say, the Home Ski Marathon or, or, or World Championships. But the reality is it's a huge deal. And you're going to be an American Berkey Binder champion for the rest of your life. And not too many Americans have, have accomplished that. Can you talk about that day and what it has meant to you and what it still means to you? Sure. Yeah, that, that day was incredible. Um, I felt amazing and, and it just, everything worked out. And, um, I kind of have like, like my two takeaways from, from that experience. Um, and I, the other time I raced the Berkey as well is that it's, it's, it's really cool to experience a Nordic ski race in North America and know that so many Americans are excited and stoked on Nordic skiing. Um, it's kind of easy to not realize that it's like, it's a big sport and people are really supportive and encouraging. Um, but if you're just doing like local races or even when you're in Europe, sometimes it's easy to not, not feel or notice that like there's a huge Nordic ski community in America and the Berkey is a good place to experience that. Um, and then the other, the other big takeaway for me with the Berkey in 2016 was um, I kind of probably from like 20, maybe 2010 or so, I just kind of started putting myself in this uh, corner where I believe that if I came into the finish line with other racers in a mass start, that I was probably fighting for like third place, not actually fighting for the win. Um, you know, I was, I, I'd always fight for it, but I wasn't confident that I could come into the last K with a pack and win. And um, the Berkey experience was, was really good for me to realize that, you know, after 49 K and tired legs that um, like my sprint isn't terrible when it's been equalized by, you know, a couple hours of fatigue building in our legs. And um, like I went to the front, like a half K out because I was like, well, I got to wind this up early because I'm not a sprinter, but I, I basically was able to pull away from the pack um, in the last, like even in the last hundred years, people weren't gaining on me. So it was, it was really encouraging and just gave me confidence that um, like, yeah, I can pull it out if I, you know, on a given day. So it's been cool. Yeah, that was good. Um, it's worth noting, of course, that your girlfriend, Jessica Eaton, 
also won the Berkey. She's the defending Berkey champion. So you are a Berkey champion couple, which is, uh, I think you're the only ones in the world. Brian and Caitlin Gregor, I've been trying for that. And Brian's been second and Caitlin's won it five times, but, but uh, he hasn't gotten there yet. So you're still the, the Berkey champion couple. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so David, do you have a, a favorite race that you've ever done? A day that brought great emotion or memories? Something along those lines? Yeah, um, I think the the Falun World Cup um, would be yeah I, in twenty in twenty nineteen. That was that's my best World Cup to date. I got sixteenth place there in a fifteen k skate, and I I think it's my favorite place because it's like if you're having a good day, those big climbs are really rewarding and the, the course has a lot of cool working areas and um, there's kind of a lot of motion there for me because I've also had probably my worst World Cups ever at, uh, at the Falun courses as well. So it's kind of cool to like uh, have had like two years in a row doing so bad there and being kind of disappointed and then to like actually pull it off and have a good race there. Um, so that's, yeah, it's, kind of become my favorite place and and last year I thought I was gonna have the race of my life there as well and kind of faded at the end but but it I really like it so and the fans yeah yeah you started well though I mean it was still a decent result huh yeah I think I was um like 20 like low 20s but yeah, exactly. at one point I bridged up to like top top like 15 in the mass start and, and was skiing in there and then kind of through the stadium where you'd say that's an easier section, but the guys, they ski the flats so fast that I, I like lost ground and ended up in a chase pack with, um, with, you know, of course that pack was strong, but ended up with them and finished with that group. So, I mean, I'm your friend and I've known you for a long time and I support you, but so it's not, this isn't necessarily a surprise for you to know that I've watched every single World Cup and I've been mm -hmm. screaming and yelling at the TV while you're, while you're racing, including those last two following races. But you should know that there are probably thousands of other Americans doing the same thing. So, you know, it's not just you and Falun, it's you and Falun with a whole ton of people screaming and yelling at the TVs, uh, cheering you on, just so you know. Keep yeah, thank, thanks. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. I do get now that people can actually watch world cups in North America, you know, getting text messages from friends and, um, you know, numbers that I don't even have, but they're, they're old, you know, family friends that got my number and sending a photo of their family watching the world cup. It's, it's really cool. The encouragement and support is super valuable and appreciated. Cool. I would do that for you. I just didn't want to bug you. You know, I figure you're getting enough. <laughs> things you got to answer but um, <laughs> no I watch everything and I'm cheering yeah. you on thanks hey, yeah so David I like to use the term magic bullet workout not that there is such a thing the reality is if there is such a thing you're probably making a mistake because <laughs> right. you know you need to have a, a diversity in, in workouts but what I mean by that is do you have a workout that's that is for you so core that you know that if you do it and do it well you'll be well prepared yeah um yeah, I guess I'm a little with you. Like, I don't have the magic bullet workout. Um, I think 
kind of I have more like my magic bullet days where I feel like there's really big return and a lot of that is usually um they're almost accidental where I'll have a like an interval workout in the morning and um some some kind of interval workout that's kind of like sparks you like um you like threshold that builds into like hard finishes like I don't know like uh like four by eight set followed by finishing with like four by two minutes so you get to finish really hard um workouts like that I feel are really rewarding and um if those go well I'm, I'm usually have a good gauge that I'm in good shape or not and then the bullet days is like um kind of where they're they're accidental like I, I go mountain biking before strength and I'm doing that in the evening after a morning interval set and then the mountain biking is like so fun it's perfect blue skies that I just like keep biking and pretty soon I've rode for like three and a half hours <laughs> and um and then you know I push strength to the next day or whatever because I was, I was just like I don't know I felt so good and I want to take advantage of like a great evening. And uh, I think those hard days, you know, they're maybe not textbook, but those, those hard days, I think as long as you recover from them, I think they're, they're really good for building, like building a lot of strength and base. And um, I, I end up having a lot of them and I, I think they're really valuable. And, and of course I kind of stray away from that as fall approaches, you know, to make sure I'm fresh and, focusing more on the intensity but but midsummer that's like kind of a classic um like bullet day for me cool so here's a, a question for you i got a couple of maybe tough questions but you've been one of the leading the, one of the few leading american men in distance racing for many years now you're currently the top rated we have traditionally done better in sprint than in distance american men why is it that you think that in general you seem to be better in sprint than in distance? Um, it's tough to, you know, pinpoint it, but um, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's fair to consider that distance gears probably take longer to develop. And there's already a small, relative to other countries, a small talent pool of skiers in America. And so if um, I just feel like there's, there's probably quite a few distant skiers in the U S that are developing and progressing and they're about to have that breakthrough and they, um, you know, they retire where if, if you can kind of break through a little earlier in sprinting, I think that can be encouraging and keep you in the game longer. Um, you know, I think of guys like Sylvan Ellison was, in my opinion, he was about to become like, you know, a regular top 30 distance World Cup skier. If, you know, if, if he had had the interest or ability or whatever, you know, to stick it out. And um, I think that might be just, it's a longer game in the distance skiing would be maybe one, one theory. Hmm. That's a good point. We, we've lost two solid distance skiers this year and Kyle Bradrud and Ben Luskarten and and both of them have had many World Cup starts, but they haven't had the years to to absorb their training over the years. And Kyle specifically, mm -hmm. he said he had quite a few results uh, in distance racing that were around 30th place. Yeah. 
Uh, which yeah, Kyle. Is, yeah. Yeah, I'd say he's he's another guy that you know maybe it would maybe it's a year or two away, and that that can be frustrating or you know you you set out a like a clock for yourself and it's hard if you know you haven't reached those goals by the time you, you know you're kind of reconsidering retirement or continuing so yeah and ben did the tour de ski i think he finished about 41st something like that yeah um, yeah you know some some just grinding out and you know doing something like the tour de ski puts you in the hurt locker for a long time afterwards for normal people <laughs> not like Bolshinov. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, a year or two later, I think that you're stronger because having had done that and all these other super long, hard efforts. But that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Here's another question that might be a little related to that. You've, you've trained some with Gus Schumacher and Luke Yeager, Hunter Wonders, some of the, some of the young generation of Anchorage skiers, uh, very fast young Anchorage skiers. Yeah. And I've spoken also with Gus about training with you. And he says that when the workouts have an aerobic or fitness emphasis on them, you really push them hard. But you've also said when you're working out with Gus, that when the workout has a power element and more of an explosive strength element, that he really pushes you and you, you can feel that where you need to improve. Um, so first off, it seems to me that this new generation of younger skiers, such as Luke, Gus, Ben, Novi, Sydney, they're extremely strong. What do you think is going on? How come our younger generation of elite skiers are so extremely strong? Um, yeah, I don't know. They've, they've been working at it from a really young age and been really specific with their training. Um, you know, like, it's not like Gus is like powerlifting or anything like that, but he's strong and powerful. Um, you know, Luke works hard in the gym and same with Hunter. Um, but yeah, I think some of it, they just like, some of it, like I can tell with Luke maybe that, you know, he grew up watching world cups and mimicking that technique. And, you know, like North Doug was a hero when they were young and copying his style. And I think it's like, it's paid off that those guys are really good at transitions and accelerations and they're, they're super strong. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how or why they're that way. Like, and Ben Ogden is a beast as well. You know, when I skied with him in Quebec, it was like, you see his poles just like rattling when they hit the ground, you know? And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if they're doing anything different in the gym, but they're, they've got it. <laughs> yeah. So here's a question for you. Are you changing or have you changed anything about your strength training after observing <clears throat> this younger, super strong generation? Um, not, not too much. Um, you know, I've definitely um, have, have a, I've made sure not to slip on the plyometrics and uh, the jumping routine. I think that's that's really valuable and watching those guys they're all like super hoppy and they've got good jumps and um and then of course you know I've, like I've, especially during uh like COVID I did some workouts you know in Gus's basement and seeing different workouts that they do and so you know like we're always you know you learn different 
routines from different people and take the, the exercise that you find valuable, but it's not like I'm lifting tons extra or more just cause they're, they're strong. Um, but, but it does seem to me that you've become more aware of a need to improve your explosive power. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think more of that, I've, I've taken that awareness more to the roller skiing than, than the weight room. Um, you know, like in, in uh, intervals and speeds and stuff, like trying to make sure that I'm, I'm uh, having good power application and like the rolling terrain and the transitions. And that's where, you know, training with those guys has been super valuable. Um, you know, if we're just doing like 20 minutes straight up a hill V1, you know, the, the fit, the heart and lungs is usually what, right. what you need there. But when we're in a neighborhood with good rolling terrain, that's mimicking more of a ski course. Those guys are really good to ski with and see how they move and, you know, they, they approach a corner differently, anything like that. So they're, they're really good skiers. It's really yeah. cool. Especially like sprinter hills where you come into a hill with some <laughs> momentum. And then if you have some really good explosive power, you can maintain that momentum over the top mm -hmm. right? those are the kind of things that they're extremely good at yeah compared to you as compared to uh, an extended hill where you can't do that the whole way up it becomes more of a of a fitness question yeah yeah, yeah. okay well that's an interesting part of the, that's an interesting discussion david which is your favorite toco glove model and why i'm the designer and i always love hearing about this yeah i favorite all time is thermo plus um it's my favorite because i basically wear it the entire winter um it's my hands are generally pretty cold and i can be in the thermo plus like when other guys are in the lightest weight race gloves but um i might finish with like slightly sweaty hands but also if it's a cold day they're they're warm enough to keep my hands warm and then uh and then those gloves paired with the racing overmet, that that combination, I can ski in Fairbanks at like 20 below, and my hands are totally happy. So I, that's that's my go-to. Um, cool. I, I usually wear through them, you know, like just putting them to use like every day, every ski. Well, we got more. We got more if you need them. <laughs> Thank you. So, David, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years and where? I know it's a tough question. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I don't know. Um, for the where, probably anywhere in the West, like Alaska or lower 48, if there's, if there's mountains and bike trails and, you know, at least winter and summer involved, I could be there. Um, and, yeah, I don't know what I'll do. You know, of course, over 10 years, be transitioning to a lot more um, formal work. And um, I'd like to try to do some running races uh, in Europe with like the Golden Trail series, stuff like that, um, while I still have good fitness from ski racing. So what do you, tell me about your career, your work. I forgot <clears throat> that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I do um, like remote bookkeeping and accounting services. I started a company in, in um, a couple of years ago and 
it's been really sweet because I kind of can do it on my own set time and I can do it from my laptop and uh, put my some of my undergraduate skills to use and definitely been learning a lot of new stuff working under a CPA when I'm in Anchorage I'll go into the office some and um, I've, I've been employed under a CPA and she's taught me a ton of ton of new little tricks and skills that uh you know you get book smart in your undergrad but then you actually start doing the stuff and it's a lot of different complexities so yeah I'm, I'm kind of just part-time bookkeeper and accountant if someone were interested in uh, obtaining your services how would they do that um they could they can reach out to me any directly or my company's Front Range Financial and the email's Front Range Financial LLC at gmail.com. So, but, but I'm honestly, yeah, it's like, it's a balance of trying to have enough work to, um, you know, like be able to pay for life and then not uh, work so much that it's counterproductive to my training and my goals. So um, I've, I've been able to find a good happy medium, you know, in the last few years so yeah super one nice thing about um, being an accountant or a cpa is you can pretty much live anywhere and do that it gives you a whole yeah. lot of flexibility yeah it's awesome and yeah you can be recovering from training you know sitting in a comfortable chair just plugging away numbers and stuff uh, it's been it's really good <laughs> super. so david what is something about you that might surprise people if they were to find out um, well, Jessica told me to, to talk about, uh, just that, like, just like how much I prioritize hunting. Um, she, you know, the, that, uh, like skiing is such a huge priority, but I just, I make, I make my hobbies fit, um, into my training. So, um, I think I think it's maybe, I don't know, a lot like, like skiers aren't just robots. Like you can, you can make it, uh, make it work. And I guess my, my thing is that, um, you know, an interesting thing for me is just like that on an off day, I'll go do like a 15 hour hunt, um, running, running and hiking with a backpack and cover 30 plus miles in the mountains. And, uh, I don't know, that's kind of like maybe, we talked about it earlier, but that's kind of like just a random fact, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, I think most people call that pretty unique yeah. and exciting. I know you fish a lot as well, I've seen you with some real big fish. So pretty much, yeah, just, Alaska's everything outdoor, huh? Yeah, outdoor and, um, yeah, just, I don't know. I don't have a great answer. Yeah. Well, that, that is a good answer. Lastly, do you have a mantra or philosophy that can be summed up in a few words? Yeah, um, I guess, like, I think it's, like, don't be afraid to dig deep, kind of. Um, I think, yeah, my, if that was my mantra, it's kind of like, in my mind, uh, I don't know, more of us in America for for skiing in particular, like don't need to be worried about, uh, just like working hard and, and suffering. Uh, I think that's kind of my mantra is like, 
as long as you recover from your efforts, you can, it's incredible what we're able to do and that it, I think it pays off. It builds great fitness and base training to just, to kind of go out, uh, you know, like maybe not textbook training, but do, do stuff and just, just work hard and have like the harder you work, the, the fitter you generally get. But recovery is something you also emphasize after you've had to dig real deep. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, like there's maybe less concern of overtraining. It's just under resting, you know, it's kind of like my philosophy. And um, so that that's kind of like how I, it's kind of like the philosophy I live by. Maybe is more, that would maybe be the, the best way to sum it up is that, yeah, I don't think I'm at a risk of overtraining. It's just under resting. So as long as you create time to rest and recover, um, I think it's we can train really hard, harder than we know. So that's well put, and that's a good perspective on things. I think too. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you spending time with me and the American skiing public who's going to be watching this and listening to this. David, you and I have been friends for a long time. Um, I appreciate your friendship as well as um, I've supported you for a long time and it's been a good mutually beneficial situation I think um, I've enjoyed visiting with you here and there on a regular basis and um, I don't imagine I'm gonna be running into this winter but I'm hoping to maybe catch up and do a follow-up interview with you sometime this winter and see how things are going and get your perspective on a few things so I look forward to that enjoy yes, your yeah. Jessica and uh, who knows maybe we'll see you down there but if nothing else, um, thanks again for doing this and good luck. Yeah, thanks so much. And same to you. Appreciate it.